Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. So right now I'm in Austin, Texas. So I'm excited to be back in Texas here for some events. And obviously I'll be over in Dallas next week for BitBlockBoom. So I'm looking forward to seeing those of you listeners out there. And today for episode 301, we're talking about Bitcoin mining pools and whether they should be decentralized or can whether they can be decentralized. So joining me is Pavel Morovich of Slushpool and Brains. And then also Ryan Ellis of Laurentia Pool. And we talk about various concepts like why pools exist, how they are structured, some of the trade-offs, what do Coinbase payouts look like versus other methods, lightning payouts, and scalability for mining pools. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. And as you know, I recently joined the team at Swan Bitcoin. Swan helps you accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys and instant buys. It's a really fast setup and cheap to automate your stacking. Swan has a service called Swan Private, and this one is for high net worth individuals all over the world, corporates, businesses, trusts, uh, even self-directed IRAs. All of these entities can be onboarded to purchase Bitcoin. So if you want some direct access to a Bitcoin account expert who's available for one-on-one calls, so if you're interested, go to swanbitcoin.com and click private at the top complete the form there and the team will get in touch now if you're interested in the idea of bitcoin DeFi lend at hodl hodl is a peer-to-peer bitcoin backed lending platform so if you have stable coins you can lend them out you can earn extra income on the other hand if you have bitcoin and you need some fiat liquidity well you can collateralize against your bitcoin and this can be done globally and anonymously there's no kyc so in this way without selling your bitcoin you can still get some fiat liquidity The best thing is you can still hold one key in the two of three multi-signature. So you know there is no rehypothecation and HODL HODL does not hold your funds. This is peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between users. So with the platform, you set your terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Bitcoin mining is a very attractive proposition right now. If you are interested, Compass Mining can help you get set up. They've got all kinds of different deals and equipment available that you can go there to purchase. So you can go and select an ASIC and have that sent to a hosting facility that has already been vetted by the team at Compass Mining. And then you can select your mining pool and you will then receive Bitcoin. So there's a whole range of different ways to get involved. There are bundle options also for those of you interested. And in doing so, you can access industrial power rates and cheaper hardware rates as well, as opposed to what you might pay just as a retail or residential individual. So go to compassmining.io and sign up to start mining Bitcoin today. Now onto the show with Pavel and Ryan. So Pavel and Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. So, Pavel, I think people know you pretty well. You've been on the show a couple of times. Uh, Ryan, did you want to just introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Ryan Ellis. I'm uh, owner of MindFarmBuy.com and uh, LaurentiaPool.org. I guess co-operator of uh, Laurentia. Great. And any, any details there in terms of your background or at least what you're comfortable to share? Uh, just a lot of logistics background, uh, sales, of course, and, you know, yes. Um, uh, yeah. And so, Pavel, maybe just for listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you just give us a bit of a background on yourself as well? Yeah. Yeah. I have mostly uh, computer science programming background, but lately I do spend most of, the, of my time trying to run the company, which is like uh, brains, obviously. But yeah, it's a completely different position for me, learning a lot of stuff. Uh, but I, I try to 
be as close to the tech and programming as I can. Uh, we do run a slush pool. We do have uh, this different branch in the company building uh, mining firmware, uh, brain source, brain source plus, trying to do other R&D uh, stuff in mining uh, space, especially Bitcoin mining space. So yeah, uh, busy in, in this area. Gotcha. Yeah. So the reason we wanted to have a discussion and we weren't, I think there was sort of, is it a debate? Is it a discussion? I think we're a little bit more on the discussion side, but there's been some discussion about this idea of should mining pools and should mining in general be further decentralized and how, what, what ways are feasible for it to decentralize? So perhaps we could start a little bit of how we got here. Maybe Pavel, you could help us explain why did mining pools even start in the first place? Why, why is that even a thing? Yeah, it, it is pretty, pretty easy idea, right? If you're trying to mine Bitcoin, uh, your chance of doing so successfully is pretty low if you don't have a large enough share in the whole hash rate market, let's say. So the pool solves the problem of you not getting uh, rewards frequently enough, basically spreading uh, variance and, and helping you get money very often, even though you, you don't have to be the one uh, lucky to find a new block. So it's a group of people joining forces together to mine blocks. Yeah, so I guess just for listeners, if you're totally new, let's say if you were to just buy one ASIC machine and plug it in, you might be waiting in a very long time if you weren't if you're just trying to solo mine, let's say. And so that's part of the reason why the idea with pools, as Pavel was just explaining, you can think of it like it's smoothing out that the rewards for you so that you can get a more consistent payouts. Now, Ryan, I want to bring you in. I want to get your thoughts on this idea. Do you agree or disagree with Pavel there? Or how would you want to discuss uh, this idea of mining pools? Uh, well, as far as uh, pooled mining, uh, it's really, in my opinion, essential. So I don't see any disagreement there at all. With regards to a single ASIC, yeah, your reward cadence is very sparse, if that makes sense. I think a new ASIC, even you know the latest gen, probably net you a block uh, fine within about 15,000 days, maybe, maybe less, 13,000 <laughs> days. So pooled mining is uh, sort of, you know, the atmosphere we're in, you know, not necessarily by choice, but by necessity. Gotcha. And so then I think the question then is more about how should those pools work? How should they be formed? And how should the payouts be done? Because I think that's where maybe some of the disagreement might lie. So Ryan, do you want to spell out where your disagreement is? Well, essentially, uh, any pool operator can, you know, operate their pool the way they would like. Um, I don't see, you know, much argument uh, in that regard. I'm not going to tell, you know, Pavel and Slush, you know, how to do things, uh, so to speak. So when we get sort of further into decentralization and uh, maybe topics like that, we, you know, might have butt heads a little bit or a lot of it, I guess we'll find out. But um, as far as uh, Laurentia Pool, uh, really just the, the model is uh, self-custody uh, for miners. It's definitely not a pool designed for your small sort of home mining community. Um, as much as I would like to be more inclusive, still the, the risks involved, you know, when you are mining uh, scores uh, like ours, uh, SPLNS, and then I think uh, Slush is on PPLNS, and you can correct me if I'm wrong there. 
But those are really models and scores driven around actual network mining versus, you know, sort of your flat rate PPS uh, score systems. And it's operation wise, um, we're looking at for us with our Coinbase derived reward, you know, we're limited by firmware to a small user group. And that's where uh, we sort of utilize that to hopefully captivate industrial and enterprise um, miners. I see. So, Ryan, could you just spell out for listeners, how is Laurentia Pool different from most of the other mining pools out there? What's the differentiating factor there? Well, I think there may be another pool that operates as far as the Coinbase derived payout. But that is the biggest catalyst there is um, receiving your mining reward directly from the network and uh, reducing any intermediaries, um, focusing on self-custody and ownership. It was just very important to me to, you know, collaborate with Khan and deliver, you know, something to market that we thought would be of high interest. I see. And Con is your partner in the mining operation or in the operation of Laurentia Pool? Yeah, Con has been um, around a while. Uh, I'm not going to really speak for him, uh, I guess, so to speak. He was co-author, CG miner originally. He's had his own pools, uh, CK Pool, CK Solo, and all, you know, based around more of your your sort of private and direct payout, so non-custodial environments. I see. And so uh, perhaps it's time to go back to Pavel and get your uh, explanation. How you know how does Slushpool do mining and then the mining payouts? If you could just outline a little bit of that process. Yeah, yeah. What a pool typically does is, uh, as we as we discussed, it jo- it, it groups other people's hash rate and then. When a block is found, it is typically found to an address controlled by a pool operator. During the mining process, a lot of data is collected about the performance of various miners. And based on the hash rate provided to the group, to the pool, the miners are rewarded certain portion of the uh, found block. There are different scoring systems, how you can calculate what you deserve based on your hash rate in time and some other various scenarios. But Mostly, every scoring system tries to somehow be the correct one or be be, uh, be, be right. Once there is amount you you deserve known, uh, the pool creates a transaction and sends the money to you. Uh, there are uh, various mechanisms uh, how to prevent uh, transaction dust and how how not to send you too many transactions because you would have to, for example, pay a lot of fees for using a lot of outputs. And so on. So typically, a miner can set up rules in what time, what frequency, what amounts the payout should be done. So in slush on slush pool, for example, you can say, "Hey, I want payouts when I mined 0.1 Bitcoin," and then send it to me, or do it daily, or some some other options, which gives you the bitcoins in more concise transaction outputs, basically. There is obviously a drawback in it, which is uh, the pool operator can hold the coins which you're deserving for some time. For bigger miners, it can be, and for example, in slush pool case, it, it can be within an hour or hour and something, and we can send it to you whenever 
there is a block found, your reward is uh, big enough and, and transaction can go out because it's uh, substantial. In case of small miners, and it is still vast majority of our miners, it can take weeks, even months before there is a reasonable amount for being paid out. And obviously there is uh, some risk associated with it, but it, it is a way how to prevent some technical issues with very small transactions. Excellent. So put it in, in other words, it's essentially that because, you know, the miner, I guess the crucial difference here is in that sense, slush pool is custodial for a small period of time, or in the case of a small miner, it might be for a longer period of time until they've had enough to reach that threshold until they actually get the payout. So I guess that's probably the key difference that I'm understanding. You guys correct me if I'm wrong there. And so I guess the uh, another interesting question people might be thinking is, and, and, and you mentioned, um, sorry, go on, Ryan. Oh, yeah, I was just going to interject. So our um, Coinbase Drive payout, uh, it's scored, um, weighted on share quality, quantity, and then at every block find, um, it is dispersed to each miner um, individually at the Coinbase level. I see. Yeah. And so that's part of that trade-off, which we'll get to. And perhaps, Pavel, if you could just explain the part around why you want to prevent dust. Why is preventing dust a, a good idea? Every transaction has some resource resources associated with it. If you want to send a Bitcoin transaction, it needs to be put into blockchain. We let's not discuss some layer two payout schemes, yeah, which sure. are completely yeah. outside of this, of these <laughs> yeah. things. We we investigated uh, this before, but it's a completely different story, right? So if you want to put a payout on uh, directly to the blockchain it has some cost it takes block space and so you you don't want to want to be allocating the space for very small amounts because otherwise n- nobody would be able to basically send a transaction and the fees would uh, go through the roof and transaction uh, fees associated with the payout could be easily of the size of the payout itself so you want to prevent this and as a pool operator you need to consider the cost associated with sending the coins because it is either direct as every custodial operator knows or indirect in terms of reserving space in Coinbase address because the bytes in blocks are just bytes in blocks and they are limited so sending very small transactions has associated uh, uh, price or cost. cost with it yeah and essentially that it could be bad as well from the perspective of the person receiving lots of small amounts of coins utxos because then later when they go to spend it again it's going to be very costly for them and so that can be quite a costly and maybe not as scalable approach but i'm wondering as well Ryan, what's your philosophy and thinking on that? And are you essentially getting around that by saying it should only be for larger miners who are doing the Laurentia pool approach? Or do you have a different answer on that idea? Well, as far as dust, I mean, there's really no argument there. Essentially, using block space efficiently is, I I think, critical. So uh, sending a dust transaction is really um, can be impossible, uh, depending on you know, your sets per byte, uh, so to speak. Yeah. With Laurentia Pool and our, I guess, since we're limited to including the pool fee to 20 Coinbase drive payouts or techs. So those will be issued by the blockchain um, and available within 100 confirmations as a standard for the network. And 
as far as limiting, having the limit to our pool, uh, you were likely not to receive, or a user or miner um, is likely not to receive a dust payout uh, based on the breakdown. But again, um, maybe may I know, have a question sort of to you because I'm not sure if I if I understand how exactly uh, your your pool is operating. So you you somehow limit the amount of outputs you're putting into the coinbase so to to prevent dust for example uh no essentially firmware is the limit um so asic firmware i guess depending on manufacturer will vary with the ability to put out multiple coinbase transactions and that's sort of the position we're in so a few years ago uh con had his own sort of group pool not a solo pool, and you would literally see um, postponed payments, which would be your dust payments on his pool there. So with our pool, there's not a, enough user count to attribute dust, unless there was maybe a very small miner uh, contributing to the pool against a larger set of, I guess, more you know robust industrial or um, enterprise miners. What, why do you think is the case that firmware is preventing uh, this scheme? Because I, we kind of know something about firmware, and but we definitely not know all the details of how stock firmware, for example, works. But firmware typically doesn't have any idea about number of outputs in Coinbase because it's not not available information to, to the miners, right? Yeah, so as far as uh, the developers, I guess, changing the code or in, I guess the argument would be to make it more efficient, but in that regard limits, you know, pools such as Laurentia pool, uh, Khan's prior grouped pool with allowing these ASICs to participate on their pools uh, with multiple Coinbase Text. So Ryan, are you able to comment which, are there any in particular that you could name or is it a general comment? Well, the biggest bottleneck right now happens to be Antminer. So being one of the more pop uh, manufacturers um, and they're the catalyst to our limit in our Coinbase um, output. So with Antminer, we're only allowed 20 um, techs. So Two are reserved for our pool operators, myself and Khan, and then we have 18 open for users or miners. As in there are 18 potential pool users after accounting for yourself and Khan? Uh, correct, yeah. So with that, as far as block space, we're not really looking at pulling away a lot of sort of size for such a small group. So as far as reward or not filling our blocks uh, completely, we, you know, like most pe pools, I imagine, take the highest fees possible. So whether that's a small transaction with a high fee or a large transaction with a low fee, but obviously larger in size because of the quantity of coins being moved we're still able to compete as far as um, a complete network block subsidy with other 
force. Yeah, I think it's pretty common that uh, miners are understandably motivated to include as many transactions as possible, or the optimization function is get as much transaction fees into the block as possible so that uh, the, the payouts will be the largest. It's a pretty common strategy, and I, I don't imagine there is uh, economically motivated miner not doing this, uh, which probably most of the miners are, right? Maybe one comment to the firmware limitation. I don't think it is intentional myself. Uh, we did study a lot of uh, available code bases for firmwares before, because obviously you, you try to get as much information uh, as possible. And it is just stupid firmware. It's just stupid code with uh, buffers uh, predetermined uh, before. And the Coinbase transaction is just sent as random bytes or opaque bytes. There is no parsing in it needed for the firmware. It's just give me a bunch of bytes, then some space you can play with to mine uh, more efficiently, and then other bunch of bytes. And this is sent uh, to the firmware every single time when a new job is offered by the pool, which is roughly every minute, every 30 seconds. And all these bytes are just smashed together, put some uh, random nonce in it, and mined. And the, the firmware obviously needs to do some uh, byte, uh, byte manipulation. And the limitation, in my opinion, is just based on assumption that the Coinbase transaction has uh, some maximum size. And uh, the assumption in the firmware is probably uh, not correct because valid transaction in Bitcoin, it, there, there are some limitations which are hard, but uh, the, the buffers in firmware are just not uh, big enough for it. And we, we can speculate, obviously, about is it intentional or is it just crappy software? And our uh, my, my strong opinion would be, just opinion would be, it's just crappy software. Because all the rest of the code base is basically yeah, put a monkey uh, behind the computer and once it's doing something, it just let's release it and it works so that we will copy it to the next generation, next generation, and next generation. And unfortunately, in case of pools who try to do these things, they are obviously hit by this uh, limitation, which is sad, but because the transaction can be in principle larger, but unfortunately, it cannot be easily done or forced to the miners. Well, I think intentional is probably a correct term. I don't know. I wouldn't say, I mean, you could speculate if it is sort of disingenuous or, um, you know, as like an attack on Bitcoin. I, I don't know if I would go that far, but most of the operators or ASIC manufacturers um, operate their own pools and uh, sort of the consensus is in the pooled environment is typically a single, maybe multiple and two uh, Coinbase payouts to the pool. So seeing um, even larger than that is probably just deemed as not essential. And that's sort of mostly my, you know, light interpretation of why these changes have um, taken place. Maybe I have a solution for you. I just thought about the uh, limitation right now, and you, you could you could do uh, a, a trick like this. Uh, you can put one output to the Coinbase and keep it very small uh, to some address you control, and 
to the same block immediately after the Coinbase, you can put any number of payout transactions as you wish. You, so you, you would decompose the first transaction immediately in the same block. And then you can just use the, all the transaction space in the block and never hit the problem of like too large Coinbase transaction. And you, you would not even discuss or show, uh, but the, the problem then is the people will not see the transactions directly or the miners, but all your Oriole blocks will be visible after that. So you could sidestep the problem of uh, Coinbase uh, size limitation and not do any custodial thing if we don't understand the one transaction moves uh, to address A and immediately after that, A moves to one payout, A moves to a uh, second payout. And this is slightly more complicated on the server side, uh, but still doable. And maybe you could then support more than uh, 18 users this way. Because in principle, I, I, I kind of like the, the idea of not, not holding the coins for longer period of time, but there are very strong technical limitations associated with it. And not all the miners really need it or want it, but there is some, some space or some people who can have this preference and it's great if uh, there is some offering for them. But uh, yeah, maybe you could you could try this this thing. I don't see why it should not work, but maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, I'm not, uh, Khan would be the uh, more technical person to have and sort of discuss uh, a lot of those characteristics uh, being so familiar obviously with the code he's developed. So I think with um, us and having a Coinbase transaction again derived from the block reward is just probably the easiest solution to deliver sort of I guess the product that we are looking to you know, bring to market as far as self custody and direct payments, um, with you know, without any intermediary sort of custodial solutions, uh, which also helps us as far as you know managing our own organization, so we don't have to manage payouts after the fact. Um, everything is done to score and then at block block find. Yeah, but you kind of have to because uh, somebody has to define how the Coinbase transaction should look like. So you are ex actually generating the yeah. Coinbase transaction through the block. So you are doing the payouts, but uh, the, the obvious uh, pro for, pros for uh, the miner is uh, the coins are never controlled by you once they are mined. But uh, yeah, the outputs are still generated by your system. So you are doing the payouts in, in some way. So Yeah, the scoring, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, Ryan, if I could ask then, is the idea then with Laurentia Pool, is the idea that you're just openly saying we'll just have a smaller pool in terms of number of users and in doing so, we'll be non-custodial? And that's one of the trade-offs you're like, you know, you, you get what I'm saying, like it's you're custodial for less time because you just get that direct payout. But the trade-off is you just can't have as many users on the pool as compared to, let's say, Slush Pool, which could have many, many more users, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. So again, in the past, um, Khan was able to have thousands of users on this group pool uh, before the firmware changes, um, you know, by that specific manufacturer we mentioned. And it, it's disappointing. But for me, as far as operational side, it actually makes my job a lot easier um, to manage <laughs> a smaller group. So 
Um, I'm not going to complain too much about it. But yeah, I, lucky you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, besides, you know, having to field uh, the constant inquiries on, you know, bringing in their 100 terahertz, you know, ASIC and, you know, when they expect to pay out. So us having uh, the password and having our server locked is sort of to alleviate uh, that issue at the gate. You know, it kind of sucks to be a gatekeeper in that aspect because it would be nice to have an open pool that people could join in and join out sort of freely. Yeah. But that poses more problems as far as keeping rewards consistent for the group as well. Um, so for me, operationally, it's uh, streamlined. And then we're able to secure our server. And as far as getting, you know, I guess when we do finally get a hash rate on there um, at a cadence that all the users or peers um, are willing to accept. Then. So, so Ryan, can I ask then, uh, are you proposing this idea that you know, more and more people should be using this kind of model? Or do you just see it like this is a niche model? Like, I guess the question I'm asking is, how do you see this idea scaling to more and more people if each time you run this kind of pool, it's maximum of 20 people? Well, it kind of goes to our philosophy of pool uh, dispersion. So uh, I'm sort of in the mindset that decentralization in a pool environment is sort of unachievable because you're looking at, you know, centralized servers, maybe outside of P2 pool. And that's um, for us, you know, we can spin up a server, you know, in Australia, we can put one up in EU and sort of have segregated groups to if there's demand for it. So if we, you know, find this successful and people want, you know, sort of, I guess, quote this product, unquote, you know, we're happy to, you know, deliver that and continue to. Yeah, but then then the, there, yeah, there is there, there is a like inherent problem in uh, pool mining and decentralization because the whole key point of pool is working as a group to limit the variance. So we, we can try to like cut the problem into several pieces, but there are basically two sides of the, of the centralization problem. One is money handling, who controls uh, the coins and how, and can we double check it? And can we prevent some like issues related to money handling? To a certain extent, this is solved by buyouts in the uh, in the Coinbase. But you can argue that the server, centralized server, still makes the decision about who, who gets the coins. You can maybe slightly faster detect some possible fraud, but normally there is not so much problems related with uh, not getting money out of pool. Yeah. So this is one part which is centralized. Who pays? and uh, who controls the coins in any way. And the second part is who decides what block is being mined, right? Who, who chooses the transactions uh, in the block? Who constructs the block as a new candidate for extending the, the whole blockchain? And this is arguably the more important part of the whole centralization, decentralization uh, topic, because like how miners are being paid for to work is like transitional thing. It's, it's, it, it's a momentary thing. Once they are paid, it's over. Uh, but the, the blockchain as, as a set of blocks and transactions, whatever, uh, it's just being kept 
for a very long time and, and preventing somebody using the blockchain infrastructure, for example, by transaction uh, uh, censoring or, or things like that, it has direct impact to the whole ecosystem. It's not like mining problem uh, where uh, me as a miner and you as a pool, we have an agreement that you are paying me properly and we can sort, sort this out by some whatever agreement we make and I can enforce it maybe even by law or whatever. This is pretty, like, it's, it's just part of the mining industry. It doesn't uh, expand to the whole Bitcoin space so much. But the uh, block selection or transaction selection is, the it inf influences the whole Bitcoin space, or at least much more than the first part. And it is even bigger problem and even more complicated problem to solve because it goes directly against uh, we are behaving as one miner together in a pool. And once we want to address the second problem of choosing the transactions being mined on, uh, then it can be done, but it's technically even more complicated than handling the money part. And this is something what we, we investigated uh, in Stratum V2 protocol, which uh, doesn't address the money part because we don't think it's a crucial thing and, and it has so many technical problems which are not worth like working on because it just works even today, we think. But the block construction or transaction selection part is not addressed at all by any solution we, we are aware of, which would be usable. And yeah, I'm not, not claiming it's a perfect, ideal uh, solution, which we propose in V2, uh, but still it's, the best effort we are ever of. Uh, and address, yeah. it's addressed. Yeah, go I ahead. I think for Stratum V2, I, I can agree that um, it helps with that decentralization of the text selection. Uh, but still, again, I think the point where you are collaborating uh, with a pool, uh, still the miners with the highest hash rate are going to have the probability in their favor to have their templates um, you know propagated to the chain so that um, still in itself is a little centralized but it's still definitely in a in my opinion a good move away from pools who like shadow mine and do very uh, I think devious um, things like that in you know the pool environment see yeah yeah sure but the uh in ideal world when all miners are using certain v2 which i would like to see sometime but i i don't think it, it will happen in, in so so broadly or whatever in the ideal world when everybody would use uh transaction selection and v2 then the block distribution would be the same as if everybody is solo mining so I, I cannot imagine being in better if somebody has a huge data center full of ASICs and he solo mines, then obviously he would have larger influence on what blocks will be mined. It's pretty direct. There is no way around that. And nobody wants to change it, I think, because it's just your right to choose whatever you want to uh, mine on because you have the hardware, you made the investment, make your decision. And so by using V2, we could get as close as possible to this ideal, but but still 
being able to solve the money distribution problem and variance smoothing problems we discussed before on the money side, paid by some some level of centralization because somebody is providing the the service of smoothing the variance. Uh, but it's a trade-off, obviously. That's where uh, scores like PPS, you know, sort of attract miners as well. So getting a sort of flat fee for uh, your hash looks, in my opinion, good on paper. But uh, again, over time, um, all block rewards should really even out. And um, with accelerated fees on pools that run PPS, uh, you know, maybe there's some backdoor deals or whatever, but they're essentially miners are losing revenue over the course of a long period of time for that short term. Um, stability. So can we just dive into that a little bit? Like what is the I mean, it sounds to me like you have a disagree, like a fundamental disagreement with the way points per share works. You know, what's your issue with that? And what's the alternative that you're proposing? Well, the I think the alternative, you know, it's really what we're doing with Laurentia pool. And I think I, I made the point that a miner has the ability to choose. So that to me is um, more important than anything else, um, having that ability to um, look at, you know, all the pools in the ecosystem and deciding, you know, what they're after specifically. So as far as myself and my interpretation of, uh, you know, points per share being less ideal over time, um, you know, really just my my interpretation of, you know, scoring and pool of mining. So for me, I so, would so prefer... Could we just dive into that a little bit further? You're saying it's your interpretation of the scoring. So what is it about the scoring of PPS that you don't like? Just so we can try to understand where is the actual disagreement here? Well, there's a lot of things a pool can do with um, your hash rate. So if they are just offering you points per share, you might not necessarily know um, what chain you're mining at any given time. Um, granted, I think there's more transparency with pools than others, but and some people do prefer to sort of profit switch, which I think is really uh, net loss for them as far as working proof of work algorithms because um, moving from one chain to another you're essentially disrupting your probability to block, block find uh, at least that's my interpretation of it and and doing so you're less likely to capture a consistent reward in that regard so to me the pool takes on extra risk with the PPS score, and in that they typically charge a higher fee, um, which you know again is up to the pool operator and the willingness of the user to accept that. Back to the show in a moment. If you're thinking about Bitcoin security, you've got to be thinking about the cold card, which you can get from CoinKite.com. The cold card is a small little device. It looks like a calculator, and essentially it can store the private keys for your Bitcoin, and it can sign Bitcoin transactions. Now, the really cool part is this can be done with a micro SD card. You don't have to directly plug your cold card in. So you can plug your cold card to the wall using a, a wall plug and a micro USB cable. And then you use the micro SD card to go back and forth between the cold card and your computer with, say, Spectre Desktop or Sparrow or Electrum. 
So cold card is really versatile. It can be used as part of a single signature setup or as part of a multi-signature setup. So there's lots of options there. Go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera to get a discount when you buy your cold card. As Bitcoin number goes up, there's an urgency to upgrade our Bitcoin security and don't just trust custodians and even single signature wallets. Unchained makes it easy to set up multi-signature. So with Unchained, you can bring your own hardware wallets and set up a vault yourself, or they've got a concierge service, which is getting very popular now. So they will ship you the hardware wallets, they'll do a video call with you, they'll get you set up, even if you've never held your own private keys before. So this is a great option if you are still on the exchange, or maybe you're on a single signature hardware wallet, and you're thinking, okay, it's time to upgrade to multi-signature before this number goes up too high, and I'm sitting here on a really large amount of... Uh, purchasing power just on a single signature wallet. So go to unchained-capital.com slash concierge and you'll get $50 off with the promo code Levera. And finally, don't forget your backups. The Cypher Grid is a new product coming from cyphersafe.io. This is a metal seed backup product and it's the best value one in the industry. You get everything you need for $59. It's got two stainless steel plates for all 24 seed words and you can punch in those words using the automatic center punch provided along with this deal. You can lock it with a padlock and you get a tamper evidence seal provided. It's stainless steel hardware. It's fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So make sure you or your loved ones can access your Bitcoins if something happens to you. Consider steel backups as part of your overall Bitcoin security and backups process. So go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Levera to get a discount on yours. Back to the show. So, so Pavel, do you want to uh, jump in here with a comment or a question? No, the, the comment would be there is a lot of uh, like rewarding schemes out there. Uh, and obviously, people can choose whatever pool they want. Uh, but, but the fee associated with the provided service, especially for PPS pools, it is paid with because uh, the randomness of rewards causes operational troubles. Uh, so it, it has economic value to get the money uh, getting regularly. You can plan much more, much better than you, you can if your uh, income is, I don't know, this month is 10% of the next month, which can easily happen. So especially uh, uh, PPS schemes are adding value to the miner. And obviously somebody can say, this is not important for me because my case is so that I don't need it. Uh, but most of the miners, especially the ones who make a lot of like large investments, uh, lending money, the, the regular payouts are super critical to them. Getting money for uh, mining operations without knowing that by, burn, by running your miners, you will be paid and what amount. It's just crazy for some like more economically sensitive people. Uh, if it's your money, it's your paid miner, then yeah, obviously in the long term, uh, you can solo mine. There is no fee associated and it should w work out. But yeah, it's a playing dice basically. Yeah, so I think that's the way to think of it is it, it, it's similar to the variability smoothing aspect, right? That, you know, even if you were a worker working for your boss and that boss is taking on the risk, that he might not make a profitable product, but he's paying you regardless. And so I guess maybe it's a similar way here because it's like you as a miner, let's say I'm a small miner, I've only got a few ASICs, then it really makes sense for me to use that model because if not, I'm taking on the full risk myself. So I guess 
maybe that, Ryan, that's maybe that's where what you were saying is more like, oh, we should have these more, I guess, decentralized idea of smaller pools, but each of those users is bigger such that they can maybe handle the variability and you know deal with it themselves. Uh, but I guess that is part of the trade-off because you might be a mining operator person who has, well, you've got electricity to pay. You might be paying for rack space. You might be paying for staff. Uh, you might be paying various other uh, admin and operating expenses or buying new equipment. So would you agree with that kind of summary there, Ryan, or do you disagree with the way I was trying to summarize it there? Yeah, I have uh, no disagreement um, with that at all. As far as, um, you know, score in relation to that, it's really up to the user to figure out the importance, you know, looking at industrial or enterprise type miners, you know, some have boards of directors, others are just, you know, a group of guys that are, you know, sort of in a, um, you know, company or maybe a collective or something like that. And, you know, they work hard to, you know, do what. Uh, you guys described is secure their equipment, secure their power rates. You know, you got to pay electricity and internet and, you know, any other bills associated uh, with most businesses as well. So having, I think, a regular payout system is, you know, it's captivating. Yeah. I won't disagree there. Do I think that it's you getting... I think that's the direction we're pursuing with Laurentia is really getting back to actual network mining, even if that is, you know, solo PPLNS, SPLNS. Um, I think those score rates are very, I guess I'm lacking uh, some of the verbiage I'm looking for, uh, but those score rates are, you know, intuitive to how Bitcoin network operates and, um, you know, propagating block fines and the probability of. So when people, I think I had somebody talk about, you know, a large gap in uh, a block fine for a pool. And I was just saying, well, how many block fines did they find previously? And so we went through their history and looked at their hash rate and basically saw that they were you know, quote, ahead of schedule, end quote. So the probability that they're going to have a, you know, 12 hour gap between a block find is um, something that, you know, is just math. You can expect to, you know, have your reward within X amount of time. Okay. So Ryan, can you give us an idea? Maybe obviously things move around and so on, but as we speak today, August, 2021, Roughly, how big does a miner need to be for them for it to make sense for them to join Laurentia Pool as opposed to you know Slush Pool or some other pool like a PPS pool? Well, based on our organization, it really depends on the other peers in our pool. So, looking at the other users. So, let's say I think right now our commitment total is about forty pentahash. Uh, so, if we were to get a large miner come in, you know, obviously the average we would need to hit a specific cadence would change um, for you know the benefit of the pool, and then the reverse would be true. So, a larger commitment or a smaller commitment, sorry, would increase that average for the remaining of spaces opening. As far as you know, organizing the group, what. I look to achieve is entry at a specific cadence uh, that works for people. So looking at like a uh, five day, 10 day cadence, specifically around your difficulty adjustments 
is, you know, what I'm looking for to bring a group in. I don't want to bring people in and, you know, not be able to set that expectation for them. And then, um, you know, still provide the caveat that, you know, this is, there could be a gap. Um, let's say we had 700 pentahertz online, you know, we could approximate maybe a block fine per day. Um, so if that cadence sort of extended, we could, you know, speculate and calculate really that we'll be due for a block soon. And then likely our next block would come quicker because of, you know, the gap in uh, the probability. Okay. And so I guess the idea in your, your vision then is that there'd be maybe more people who are, let's say, ideologically motivated to, quote unquote, maintain the decentralization of mining, such that there were lots of Laurentia pools out there and have, I guess, more smaller pools. And I guess that's, I'm trying to understand your view. Is that essentially what you're trying to get at? Is that the idea you're, you're going for? I think you're, you're close there. So again, a pool dispersion, I think will help decentralization. If it's us using, you know, cons code over and over again, I don't see that as really, um, you know, decentralizing when we look at uh, text selection and things like that, because we're going to pull the highest fees possible. Likely if we, you know, put our code on another server, the text templates are going to be similar or, you know, very similar. So as far as is it, is it a problem? I mean, uh, let's imagine that there, there are some fees in the mempool, right? Uh, because people are just trying to send money. And if uh, transaction propagation in the Bitcoin network is efficient, then everybody in the world should basically see all the same transactions. Because once you, you send your transaction to the network, uh, the nodes are just relaying the transaction to everybody. So all the miners, uh, modular private transactions are seeing the same uh, same space. So it it should be very natural that if you are trying to optimize your output, uh, the value of block because it's economically making sense, then all the miners should make basically the same same decisions. Everybody should build the same block. So like difference between one block and uh, another block for different pools doesn't make a lot of economical sense. The incentive for doing this is not there. Uh, the The key concept I think here is you don't want one person to control and force everybody to use this this block, but you can collectively uh, decide this is the best block for me because if I am the person who is uh, finding it, then I'm getting the money uh, and I'm maximizing my my output and you can do the same decision and and if you win it's your money if i win it's my money uh but we can still mine uh the same block everybody yeah, can absolutely. do it and it's perfectly fine right perfectly fine uh but yeah my point was towards uh decentralization of text selection so uh my i guess assumption with stratum v2 is the miner themselves would get to choose versus the pool so us uh, sort of dispersing pools all over, I don't think would is not really a decentralization, I guess, uh, directive for us. So we, we don't really market ourselves as a decentralized pool. Mostly 
moving hash rate from these larger pools that have, you know, 19 EH is sort of our goal there. So, is, I mean, it sounds a bit interesting. I mean, to me, I'm not quite clear myself because it sounds like you're saying you're not pro- necessarily pro-decentralization of pools, but you want essentially less large pools and more small ones? Uh, I would prefer it. It's really, again, it's really not, I mean, that's my preference to see better distribution of hash rate globally. But again, for us to distribute pools alone would be, again, not very decentralized. So looking at all the other... Okay. Yeah, because you could be the, the, the next big centralized uh, entity just running 200 servers and just deciding by having a drink together and say, hey, tomorrow we are going to censor uh, this company's transactions. And nobody would be happy with that, uh, obviously, even even though yeah. we would have to. Well, we, we wouldn't do that, but yes, in theory, I, uh, I would. Yeah, yeah, but the point is you, you want to get into a state where this even theoretically cannot happen or we are as close as possible to not be theoretically possible and yeah the, the problem as is as far as yeah. decentralizing hash rate to me the going back to mining nodes so putting that into core itself again so whether you're just using your low power cpu you know there's thousands of nodes on our planet that are active and participating so to have each one of them be a mining node uh in my opinion, would be the best for decentralization. Is it going to be profitable? No. Is Are you going to find a block find eventually? <laughs> but again, the probability is very minute. Right. But I guess, I mean, to the point Pavel was making earlier, it's theoretically possible that, you know, some say you, you, Laurentia Pool has 20 uh, miners on there, and those 20 miners could collectively account for 40% of the hash rate. Like, theoretically, it's possible, right? It, yeah, sixty percent of the hash rate. You know what I mean? Like it it's theoretically be. possible. And that's sort of. I mean, we're competition driven internally, so you know, eighteen peers fighting essentially. You know, in a ring. Think of it as like a WWE, um, <laughs> yeah, mayhem or whatever they they call um, those matches. You know, for the portion of block reward. I see. Yeah, I see. And so. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the scalability aspects because I know the Brains and Slushpool team put out some uh, tweets and a, a post talking about some of the scalability aspects of this saying, well, what happens if the Coinbase transaction gets too large or it might not work for the smallest miners or perhaps if that Coinbase transaction was really large, it's the first one in every block. So that means there's less space for non-miner transactions. So I'm wondering, maybe Pavel, do you want to just touch on some of those aspects around scalability uh, and the approach contrasting the approaches there yeah sure but we kind of address some of them went through went through uh the topic before it all depends on the size of the transaction like the amount you are sending if you are forced to do the payouts in very frequent manner maybe every single block you're uh, mining then and there is a lot of users uh, which is not the case of laurentina pools but yeah, theoretically, if you would like to extend it to a larger number of people, then you would be forced to use, I don't know, 1,000 outputs in every single block. And it would just be wasting space because you would you could 
otherwise use the same bytes for other people's transactions and being paid by doing so because this is your main duty as a miner you're helping other people's transaction to get into blockchain and you're rewarded by uh, doing so so yeah putting a lot of outputs this way if it's bigger than reasonable then it's just a pure loss i think and then some strategy of joining the transactions together maybe by just sending the payouts uh, less frequently for one single miner it's a way how to reduce the the allocated space in in the block uh, and then obviously there is one aspect which is pretty technical and it is you as a pool you're sending the coinbase to every single miner whenever you're updating uh, the job being mined on so you have to do it every 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 time when a new block is found but for optimizing your block value pools typically send new jobs to miners once in a minute or 30 seconds and if the coinbase transaction is large then you have to send physically all the outputs the whole coinbase transaction to every single asic participating in in the mining and it can be a lot of data it takes a lot of time uh, if you look at uh, the timings when you you try to send this job to i don't know 10,000 connections on your server it can seem very fast on the software level because the buffers in operating systems are uh, just doing their work but physically on the lines it takes uh, non-negligible time and it decreases efficiency of mining because the receiver of the information the, the miner gets the data later and therefore reacts later and the the, the delay is pure loss it's That's a disadvantage not, not, yeah. yeah yeah it's not mining uh, so when, when a new block is found the distribution of the information is super critical and once you you're th that's why even zero zero block or zero transaction block mining is or empty block mining is uh, happening because of this speed speed up of distributing the work uh, the work it, it needs to be in one packet uh, network bucket, then you, you can do it pretty fast. Uh, but once uh, the information is larger, it, it just takes much longer. And you, you would have to scale up your operation, use uh, more physical servers so that uh, the, the, the connections are more uh, spread around. And then you, you could push the same information faster. But, but at the same time, you're on the farm side and you, you have a lot of connections to the pool and if every single miner needs to get all the data again and again then it can be problematic on your uh, like downstream connection from your ips or whatever and so you would probably use a proxy but it's a technical discussion but having this uh, coinbase large is just loss everywhere it is it, it would be great to implement the uh, the hack we discussed before to put it to as a first transactions in the block and use just one hop internally in the block so that all these outputs would be hidden in the normal transactions and uh, because miners are getting only coinbase transactions in the job this would be like zero cost obviously you would use some space in the block so the associated uh, price will be there but not on the mining level the mining efficiency would be completely perfect um yeah, so th there are technical problems with the approach, uh, even on the like very mining side. 
Well, with um, Khan's code, it uh, it's interesting. Of course, he could elaborate more. It maxes out at 100 Coinbase transactions in a block. Obviously, we're not able to scale to that size due to firmware, but propagating the next, I guess, that information really is uh, dependent on, again, you know, the size. So there's, again, no argument there. Our size is still very small with, you know, 20 Coinbase transactions. Yeah, you're definitely not hitting the the hard part of the problem uh if, if the number is 20. and then i imagine all pools are um you know using high grade servers and connection speeds so really I, I think latency with us being just a single master node could be an issue depending on location or even your um, isp you know, satellite uh, has higher latency than, you know, fiber, cable wood, et cetera. Um, we've seen pings to our server that are sub 300 milliseconds, even from Australia to the USA, because Khan's in Australia. So these are things, you know, we evaluated and we've looked at. Yeah, but the uh, pings doesn't matter in this setup. If, if you try to send let, let's make some ridiculous example, which is completely like out of this world. But let's say you have to put one megabyte uh, Coinbase transaction to, to every single miner. The pink just doesn't matter because you would have to go through sending one megabyte to every connection. And what counts is when the last miner gets all the data, then it, it, we, we can argue about averaging the, the thing. So let's keep the uh, the the middle middle connection, who gets the uh, the data in, in the middle. This is what should be measured because that's the delay before you start to mine on the new block. And pink is just uh, an offset. You cannot be faster than your network is, but then all the inefficiencies are adding on top of that. And so so be, being everything being the same, it is just smarter to send as less information or as small number of bytes as possible because otherwise you're you're offsetting yourself towards worse efficiency and obviously you can get better servers but again if you have better servers then sending more data is worse than sending less data so well the i guess the best way uh, large miners with um, you know thousands of these uh, asics um, would be to proxy and yeah, that's sure. sort of something that, you know, w helps alleviate because we can, you know, help manage everything on our own server, our own end, but really, you know, talking with clients and making sure that efficiencies on their side are just as optimal, um, especially when, you know, working with a, a point-based yeah. drive payout. Yeah, but, but it doesn't matter because the proxy has the same problem. You have a server which, for example, has 10,000 downstream connections to the miners, one upstream to a pool. So the the, uh, the time to deliver the data from pool to the proxy is, let's say, the pink side, uh, the, the, the pink time, no, no efficiency loss. But then the server being in the middle needs to distribute the larger amount of uh, data to every single connection as well. So you're paying the price on the local network. And okay, it's maybe 100 megabytes uh, uh, link then but there is a switch somewhere there is a 
one server needing to go through all the connections. Maybe you can use two proxies, but whatever. Once you have 10,000 of machines, it just takes some time to distribute the information, even on the CPU level. But yeah, these are maybe non like differences which people are not counting and not evaluating properly. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is it is always better to not use the bandwidth if you don't have to because uh, it's faster and you can measure even uh, the efficiency is there. Uh, It can be uh, one good example. People are sometimes arguing about uh, pool fee uh, differences, which are smaller than inefficiency caused by like wrong network setup and wrong proxy. But people just don't, don't look at these things because it's super easy to point to a pool fee or some uh, other fee. It's visible number. It's very simple to understand, but uh, a kind of frustration. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but it's an interesting <laughs> point, Pavel. Uh, Ryan, do you, have a, do you have a response or do you have any uh, question now? Yeah, as far, well, I guess he, Pavel got interrupted um, a little bit there, but yeah, as far as connection, um, you know, we're, I, I can't argue that speed is going to win, but again, the probability of consecutive block finds within just a matter of seconds uh, for a pool is extremely low. Uh, within minutes, you know, obviously we've seen it happen uh, before, but as far as transferring data, I, that that's something I think every pool works hard to make efficient on their end. Yeah, maybe for uh, one comment for people to understand, mining doesn't have memory, meaning it's the same thing to uh, the first second when you start to mine is exactly the same as the second second. You are not having bigger chance of finding a block the longer you are mining. Your your probabilities are still the same. So for, for example, if you start now, uh, the chance of you finding a block with, within the next 10 minutes is exactly the same as if you mine the 10 minutes, not find the block, and you're trying for another 10 minutes. It's yeah, it's crazy because we, it's completely non-intuitive, but it works this way. So the first second is exact, is, has the same importance as the second second or the last second. Uh, so even once we... Let, let's imagine we, we have one second delay at the beginning. Uh, it is one six hundredth of uh, typical block time. So you're losing one in six hundred uh, seconds in the whole process. And the, the, the price you're paying is exactly uh, in this proportion, no matter if it's first or last second. So yeah, there, there is not a lot of blocks found within first second, but the statistics just work. It, it's it's the same uh, as saying you're not seeing a lot of blocks being found exactly in two thousand second or third second. It's a similar thing. Yeah, because there is a lot of seconds in the in the first first time that and there is obviously some distribution for for them, and the first second is better than the uh, three hundred second. Uh, but yeah, the, the timing, you cannot go around the, the maps behind mining, basically. Yeah, I think that's a good point there. 
Also, are there any other things that start to break down as, say, the price or the sats per byte rises? So as an example, I mean, as we speak today, the price is, what, 45000 or 46000 something in that range. And if, you, if, if I look at mempool.space, the price to get into the next block is 8 sats per vbyte. So that's a, you know, like an average transaction fee today for next block confirmation is about 50 cents. But I could imagine if, you know, let's say the price was 10x, the price goes to... 450,000 and instead of paying 8 sats per byte you're now paying you know 80 sats per byte and well at, at that point we, you know if you're hitting a 10 and a 10x we're now talking about well it could be a $50 transaction or you know who knows $500 transaction someday does, does anything <laughs> yeah. break down let's there? have this problem <laughs> yeah i would i would love to work on the problem being that it is 10x and we have to solve the possibly a second layer. And a lot of super smart guys uh, are working on the problem for a long time. Uh, and I'm keeping all my fingers crossed for uh, any progress in this area. But it would be great problems to have, right? <laughs> of course. I think it's, uh, uh, well, Ryan, as far as space, I mean, you're looking at, you know, the larger transactions are going to, I guess, uh, way more, so to speak. So likely you're going to have more competitiveness um, with, I guess, your general users uh, competing for, you know, that block space through their text fees. And it's really like uh, we were just laughing about. It's a great problem um, for miners. Uh, we're happy to help uh, solve that. But there, yeah, Taproot, uh, Segwit, things like that, that, you know, reduce the size of transactions. Um, I think we'll see more innovations in that regard on uh, layer one. Looking at layer two, I think as much as it's matured, it's still not quite there um, when looking at pulling, you know, a full block subsidy to a um, lightning network wallet. You, we'll get there. You know, there's creative yeah. people like uh, on this. have here that, you know, uh, solve these problems and, you know, have, you know, the, the know-how and uh, the intuition as well to, you know, solve these things. So, yeah. And Pavel, I'm curious while we're here, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you had explored the idea of lightning payouts for miners. Could you offer a comment for us or explanation analysis there on you know, feasibility of this? Because I know, for example, I think NiceHash does already do this, but could you offer your thoughts? Yeah. One of the troubles associated with this is payouts are one way. Pool never gets money, right? So, and the most efficient way how to use second layer solutions is if you allow people to send in, in both directions. Yeah, clever. So that you can use the channel for like infinite time. So the idea was let's pre-commit or commit some some coins to a miner for channel payout channel and let the miner spend the coins through us as a hub so that yep. they can pay with the money being in the channel and we can then send them back to the other side yeah. of the channel and this could work for for a long time um yeah but it so it's feasible but it's feasible for small miners using the the money for like paying. Yeah. Once there is no backflow, it doesn't work because it, it would be better just to send uh, the money directly. It's uh, costlier to make uh, make the channel, and and it it needs to be like closed by other transaction if you 
and so on and so on. So yeah, once I there see. is a miner who would like to use the coins for paying for a coffee or whatever, then this could work because we will always keep your wallet full. Yeah. Uh, if you if you mine and use it, and it's great idea, uh, but it's kind of niche. But I could also imagine, let's say. Maybe there's a synergy there for a mining pool operator to also be a lightning hub, right? To also be an operate like a routing node. And maybe yeah. longer term, that would kind of make sense because then they're doing the payouts to their miners who are operating on that pool. And then those miners, and again, again, this is a long-term thing. Maybe in the long term, those miners might be in turn paying their expenses with lightning. And so then because it's coming through, you know, through the let's say slush pool, if slush pool was a lightning routing node as well as a mining pool operator, then maybe that model, but it's again, it's a time thing and maybe we need to sort of close the loop there for people to be able to earn sats from mining and then spend their sats directly through the Lightning Network. Yeah, we, we could even like just open a channel with uh, payout instead of doing directly payout on chain so that there is an availability of using the money within, uh, within the second layer, but it can be limited maybe we, we will just keep, I don't know, 1.0.01 Bitcoin in, in such a channel and just do it once and once the user is going back and forward. Then yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are options and I guess uh, somebody will do it. We definitely looked into the idea, but never prioritized the idea yeah. into uh, yeah. being worked on really. Yeah. And it is still early days, so it's not, um, yeah, it might not be yeah, feasible I, right now. I'm keeping yeah. fingers. Uh, for somebody doing it it would i think it would be interesting pr for the second layer especially if some like well-known uh, pool does it and some prominent users visible would use it and say yeah. so it would be nice but uh it's difficult to put money on marketing uh, projects only <laughs> yeah of course uh ryan any comments from your side there how does uh you know uh, yeah any comments from your side yeah, with uh, Lightning, I think it sort of opens that gate for, you know, that smaller miner to receive, you know, maybe that daily payout sort of thing. Um, so to me, it's really intriguing. You know, I think for adoption, pool side, uh, there's obviously a lot of work to be done. My other point with the Lightning, uh, you're also removing transactions from the main network besides the channel opening and closing. So you know, as far as, you know, helping keeping blocks full in the future, you know, I hope that's a, a problem, you know, we never have to really discuss, but maybe game theory, if there's a lot of L2, uh, how does that look, you know, when people are viewing Mempool, so to speak? Yeah, I guess my perspective on that is, we are still so extremely early that we just haven't hit the big numbers yet. I mean, I've seen, you might've seen those projections of a billion Bitcoin holders in five years time or something like that. If we were really to hit those kinds of numbers, even just the channel open and close for all of those people would just be more than enough block space demand uh, to provide that, call it reserve demand or baseline, if you will, and add in all the people who are doing coin joins because they want to do multiple rounds of coin joins. That's another base level demand for block space. I personally, I'm not worried, I think. And then also, it's not just channel open and close. There will be periodic rebalance or swap in and swap out. There'll be all sorts of things like that. So I'm personally not too worried there. I think it's it's just, it's it's additive to the Bitcoin network, even if it superficially looks like it's taking transactions off the chain, it just dramatically improves the overall 
value of using Bitcoin because now you can use it fast and cheap and all of these fancy things once you're in the Lightning world. I've been a, uh, I guess, a Lightning user uh, for quite a while. So operated uh, a few nodes myself and I, I really hope it, you know, I, I think we all hope it develops more and it would be interesting uh, to see cool side uh, how it could be utilized yeah. in the future for sure. All right. Well, I think those are probably the key questions I had. Uh, I think we've sort of discussed where we agree, disagree. Do you guys have any other comments or any areas you wanted to bring up, any topics you wanted to bring up? Nothing particular. I think we went through a lot, a lot of, a lot of different uh, points. Yeah. Okay. I think we, I think we've spoken out most of those points. Well, I, yeah, I think uh, most of the points uh, we were looking to cover are, you know, we we did that. I think uh, just to sort of relay, you know, as far as scaling, you know, there's there's only so much we can do with, you know, that firmware software that um, maybe not necessarily from brains and their OS, uh, but from others um, that are producing it. And is the sort of my, my biggest concern is anytime you're limiting anything, um, you know, how how does that affect the ecosystem? And then smaller pools with the variable payout, uh, it, it's sort of a, a big topic because, you know, there's not a whole lot a small pool can do until they, you know, get that nominal hash rate to really drive their uh, block fine cadence. Right, yeah. And I, I presume then, uh, maybe when a pool is getting started, they might have to just try and offer a discount or try to have their own miners to sort of bootstrap the initial hash rate to get it to a certain size. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough job. You have to have a lot lot of great connections and a lot of money if you would like to start from scratch. Even providing some benefits, yeah, the, the capital needed for it is super large, and I. I would think there is a better way how to spend the money you would have to have uh, in mining, just being a miner and actually get uh, the, the coins out of the it's mining process, coins, yeah. like the investments yeah. for uh, if you would like to start, I don't know, PPS pool today. And if you run the numbers, uh, the probabilities of going bankrupt, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's just better to use the coins and be minor. <laughs> like I, I would, I would do it myself. <laughs> but I mean, you've already got a pool going, so you know it's different for you. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it's a heritage. It's a it's a luck. I'm super, super, super grateful for being in the position because otherwise it would be almost impossible to to get get to it without having awful amount of money. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Okay. So I guess uh, maybe let's have a closing thought from each of you guys on where you think uh, Bitcoin mining should be going in terms of the ethos of Bitcoin and potentially that idea around decentralization or what kind of ideals you have around Bitcoin mining and what people should be prioritizing when they're thinking about mining. So uh, Ryan, do you want to start? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I think decentralization, um, you know, I, I'll probably always use that in quotes um, because I don't see pooled environment as decentralized. Um, even our pool, even with a more decentralized payout, it's still a server that someone operates um, in that aspect. So really driving 
um, mining back to the node level, I think, will help in sparking decentralization. Again, it's not for, it'd be more for ethos than profitability, of course, um, because essentially there's no censoring a node operator or a node operator if being censored, you know, by their, you know, government or ISP or, you know, whoever can hopefully find a way to still contribute uh, to the network. And then mining, thousands of nodes mining, um, even separately, uh, is going to decentralize the network. And sort of, I think it'll move back to what it was, um, but pooled mining as far as profitability, I, I don't really see that going away for um, miners, whether they're, you know, small scale ASIC users or large industrial um, enterprise um, customers. Yeah. Okay. And Pavel, any comments from you in terms of the direction you want to see Bitcoin mining go? Yeah, some, something is what I would like to see and something what I predict. I don't think we will see uh, sm smaller miners in larger numbers. It's just inevitable that miners are getting bit, uh, bigger and they want to use some sort of service, typically some sort of service as pool. Uh, so I don't see a lot of change in this direction. But what I hope for is that these miners will understand the, the role of being a miner and being kind of responsible miner and trying to understand and understanding that controlling the block space and choosing what transactions will be mined, it is a big topic and they should think about it and participate whenever there is a possibility. And I hope we will get the V2 or any equivalent of Stratum V2 into production and uh, decision makers on miners' sides will understand the importance of this and we will get to the ideal of one node or one farm, one miner, uh, and not pull uh, as close as possible by by uh, using this this kind of protocol of or any other alternative, but there is none right now. So I would really hope people will understand and use these features to help decentralize as great as possible, uh, but not on the money level on the blocks, uh, block space level, which is achievable in my opinion. So uh, whoever is ready to help with pushing V2 or any better alternative, if there is some, I don't know, uh, then please do it. Uh, everybody will, will be rewarded by uh, the whole Bitcoin uh, space being more secure, more decentralized, and we will remove the argument of big miners being somewhat in a powerful position uh, once we uh, deploy a solution like this. Yeah. So everybody would benefit. Yeah, personally, I'd love to see more and more people uh, get into Stratum V2. So Pavel, people who want to find out more about you and you know Brains and Slushpool and obviously Stratum V2, how can they find you guys online? I guess slushpool.com team or something or <laughs> Twitter. All right, I'll include the links <laughs> in the show notes brains. there. Com. Yeah, and that's with two eyes, yeah, so people are clear. That's two eyes. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, and Ryan, where can people find you and Laurentia Pool? Uh, LaurentiaPool.org can contact me through, you know, I guess Twitter and Telegram I use quite often. 
uh, mindfarmby.com obviously um, is uh, my main project, you know, right now, sourcing all this equipment for all these, uh, you know, ASIC users from one to a thousand. But yeah, uh, pretty, pretty easy to find me. You can probably knock on my door if you wanted to. But um, Do you have a good coffee? I have great coffee. <laughs> I, um, as a young man, I worked many years uh, brewing coffee. So I, I'm Oh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. If we ever get together, <laughs> I'll throw together. A, a then it's it's very much appreciated to have an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope to. I've enjoyed chatting with you guys, and I hope to uh, meet up sometime at a mining conference or something someday. So uh, thank you for joining me, guys. Yeah, thanks uh, for pleasure. Your yeah, thanks for having me. Great to speak with you both. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 301. Thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.